Good morning. We'll do a little sound test by advertising. Um, the, the conference, the Rise Up Conference that was mentioned um, was renamed last year to the Believer's Bible Conference. Uh, there's no secret story behind that. They actually wanted to get a nonprofit 501c3 connected with the conference, so they sort of had to start fresh. Um, but it's called the Believer's Bible Conference now. How many of you went to Rise Up a year ago? Two, it's every, once every two years. Three people, four people on the back. Um, it's, a little, it's a little bit of a drive. It's a little bit of a fly from the West Coast. Uh, I've, I've, I've told many people we need to do sort of a West Coast, Texas, Colorado, Arizona, California conference uh, of this sort. But this is a conference that, I'm doing a little advertisement here, I brought the, the flyers. I'm on the committee for the conference. That doesn't make me special. That just gives me more work to do. Uh, and um, it's, it's in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. It's in the Nashville area. This is a sort of a time where you can go meet several hundred people from New Testament pattern assemblies around the country like this. Here's some ministry that you might not typically hear, people that may not come out here. Uh, there's a book table that will probably be about the size of this room, maybe bigger. And so if you like good literature, that's a great place to go. You don't pay shipping, uh, maybe not even tax, I'm not sure. But... Um, so the theme this year will be love. So there'll be topics like loving the lost, loving the assembly, loving the family, um, loving Israel, loving Muslims, loving your neighbor. And um, I'll be doing one, loving the Lord with all your mind. So just a plug for the conference. It's a great time. A lot of people are really encouraged as a result of going to that conference. So there's a, there's a stack of those uh, in the back that you can uh, help yourself to. Um, it's good to be back with you. I think, I think it's been a couple months since I've been here. Uh, I, I, I canceled all my teaching and preaching for the summer and just focused on uh, Bethel. And so uh, I would have been here a little bit earlier in the year, but it's good to be back with you. Well, this morning what I'd like to do is share with you a message that um, I, I gave up at a conference in Canada. Um, it's interesting when, when believers ask you to come talk about things like stewardship and... Um, financial responsibility. And this is um, a message about stewardship this morning. And stewardship is a simple concept. It's a life-changing concept. And so I'm going to go through that this morning. And tonight, I have a couple options on what I could talk about. Um, a theme that a lot of believers are interested in is related to this is the theme of supporting Christian workers and the Lord's work. Um, I'm, I'm encouraged when some assemblies have called me and said, will you come talk to us about that? Some of you know that I work with assembly care, and we have contact with most of the committed workers in North America. So I may talk about that tonight, uh, or the gospel. Uh, I'm thinking about some things. Uh, there's a, uh, a set of uh, verses and messages on why God doesn't answer prayer um, that I'm thinking about. So if there's something on your heart, or if you, you, know, if you have a need, let me know while you're going out the door. And uh, as I'm thinking about how we can use our time tonight, uh, if we get through all this this morning. So stewardship, I've got here a title, Discipleship Produces a Worldview Shift Towards Possessions. And as always, if you want a copy of these slides, just, just ask me for them. Um, discipleship results in a change of self-identity. Right? How do you view yourself? You probably view yourself through three or four different lenses. And... Um, one of the ways that you view yourself is probably as an owner. And this morning, we'd like to talk about shifting that worldview to one of a steward or a manager. 
So let's just turn our arrivals to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to read a passage and then um, get into our message. We've asked the Lord to bless our time. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Making a meaningful shift from thinking of yourself as an owner of all these different things, your body, your money, your car, your job, whatever it is, to being a steward or manager is pretty much impossible without God's help. It requires far more skill and wisdom than you think. And so we're going to go through that this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. Paul writes, This is how one should regard us. He's speaking of himself and Apollos. They were really elevating Paul and putting him on a pedestal. Right? Do you remember that? They were saying things like, I am of Cephas, um, I am of Paul, no, we're of Christ. And Paul says, no, no, wait a minute. This is how you should think about us. Don't put us up on a pedestal. Regard us as servants of Christ, as stewards of the mysteries of God. And since I've introduced this word steward, Paul writes, verse 2, Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. That's really the most important thing when it comes to a steward is faithfulness. We'll explain that. So based on that fact, think of me as a steward. Don't put me way up on a pedestal. Get the whole idea of a worldview shift. He shifted the way he's thought of himself. I'm not some big, important international apostle. I'm just a steward, Paul. That's how you should think of me. It's a steward. And if that's the case, all that really matters with stewards is that they're faithful. And faithful in whose estimation? Who gets to decide whether steward Paul is faithful? His master, God. So we read verse number 3. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. As a matter of fact, or in fact, I do not even judge myself. Wow. Okay. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. Paul says, I can't necessarily think of an area where I just, I really dropped the ball. I really messed up. He's like, I, when I look back over my ministry, I think I've been pretty faithful, but that doesn't mean I'm Okay. Why is that? Look what he says here. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 4. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, because of this fact, faithfulness in a steward is really decided by the master, by the Lord. Verse 5. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, the time of the judgment of our Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, the judgment seat of Christ, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Only when Christ comes and judges the church at the judgment seat of Christ, giving out rewards or a loss of rewards, he's going to bring out what, what we don't know and what we can't see, what's in your heart and what's in my heart. That's really the only way any of us can sort of be accurately judged. Paul says, I can't even do that about myself. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful, wicked above all things. Who can know it? You don't even know your own heart. So how can you look at yourself and say, you know, I did a pretty good job. I think I've done pretty well. Paul says, you don't know. So if I can't even judge myself, says Paul, you, you know, you, you can't do it. Uh, and so there's this idea of stewardship. What's the point for our message this morning? Paul clearly went through a worldview, self-identity shift. He was once a superstar Pharisee, willing to go farther than anybody was willing to go. Now he says, you know, just, just look at me like a steward, like a servant. Have you gone through that kind of a worldview shift? That's what I'm basically asking this morning. 
How do you look at yourself? We're going to try to unpack that. Ours is a culture of heroism, self-realization. Do it yourself, conquer it. Uh, God can use those, um, I don't know what, what noun to put in there. Urges sounds kind of weird if I say that. But the Lord can use that zeal to accomplish things. But we don't really think of ourselves and our society very easily as stewards, managers. What's a steward? Here's a definition. A steward is a manager, but not of their own things. Consider this. Stewards transacted business for someone else using the goods and possessions of someone else according to the instructions of someone else. In the ancient world, you could buy or hire a steward. They were kind of a sort of slave. You could put them over feeding your house. You could put them over a construction project. You could have them collect money. Some of them were rather educated. The closest concept we have really is that of a manager. And so Paul says, this is really how you should think of me. Uh, Here's a definition from um, Vine's Expository Dictionary. It's a good tool. Uh, Any of you like scholars and things like that, F.F. Bruce gave uh, Vine's Dictionary a a thumbs up if you read his introduction. Oconomos is the word that we get steward from. Uh, One who rules a house. Uh, Turn to Galatians 4.2. Let's just read the verse here. We're just getting the idea in our mind. That's what we're doing. We're just getting the idea of a steward in our mind since it's not as familiar to us. Let's read Galatians 4, 1 and 2. Stewardship. What are you a steward of? What does steward mean? Do you think of yourself as a steward? Does this matter? Galatians 4, verses 1 and 2. Paul writes to this assembly in Galatia, or assemblies. This is the area of of modern-day Turkey. He says this, Verse 1, I mean that an heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, although he is, in reality, owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Manager. In the ancient world, you could have somebody like this um, basically chaperone your children, make sure that they got to school, that they didn't throw stones at the neighbor's cow on the way home, that they came back home, they didn't get into trouble. Um, If you know boys, they just get into trouble. It's natural. And you need a, a steward, an economist. By the way, that's where we get the word dispensation from. You've heard of dispensationalism. Nobody this morning has ever heard of one person. Is, uh, the hands are going up. Oh, man, I've got to pay attention. Um, what he says, he's asking questions. A dispensation really means to dispense or to, to give somebody responsibility, right? The Lord down through history gave mankind certain new additional pieces of knowledge and information and, and held them responsible for it, right? And so it's just, this is the same word. A steward, a manager, responsibility denotes a superior servant responsible for the family housekeeping, the direction of other servants, the care of children under age. In the ancient world, the, the office normally included responsibility for overseeing household budgets, purchasing accounts, resource allocation, collection of debts, and generally running 
um, the establishment, but based on the guidelines of whoever the owner was, okay? Stuart, do you look at yourself this way when it comes to your life and your world? And we're going to bring this back into our relationship with the Lord in a little bit. This is not that form of a concept to us now that I've sort of introduced this idea. Uh, how many of you have ever, maybe I shouldn't ask this question, worked and had a company vehicle? I don't think that's a status thing, so I guess it's okay to ask that. You know, company vehicle. Um, budgets are tight. There are no company vehicles anymore. You're walking. Ride your bike. You know, <laughs> um, a company vehicle, right? You, you get this vehicle, and it's not yours exactly, but it kind of is yours in a way. Uh, you can drive it around, and you do your work, and it's to help you get your job done. Uh, what about a company laptop or computer? You see, that's pretty common. Anybody here have one? Company laptop? Yeah, a couple people. Um, if you teach school, they hand you 30 or 300 kids. Just pack them in the room, right? They're, they're, not, they're not your children, but they kind of are yours. You spend more time with them than some of their parents do. Uh, what about finances, a budget for a project? I mean, we understand these ideas of being a manager. I'm suggesting this morning that this is a very real concept for how God wants you to look at your life based on what the Scripture says. Here's where trouble comes in. Trouble occurs in a company anytime a person forgets the above things aren't theirs. People slip from thinking about it. I think that's what I should, should say here. Thinking about the vehicle or the money or the time or the work as their, as, as the companies, they start thinking of it as theirs. Imagine if you had a company vehicle and you decided to sort of pull the radio out, buy a new one, put it in, right? New paint job, a couple bumper stickers. You know, you get called into somebody's office pretty quick. You have a company laptop, you can't usually just do whatever you want on it, put any software you want on it. You'll expose your company's data to all kinds of viruses. They're very strict. It's yours to use, get your work done. It's yours in a sense, but it belongs to somebody else. So can we identify with this concept? I think, I think we can in our society. Do I share Paul's change self-identity? Do I look at myself and the things that I own and the opportunities God has given me as a manager or do I still look at myself as primarily an owner? Do I view myself as an owner or a steward? Romans chapter 6, verse 1 talks about us having died with Christ and risen again unto him. The Bible says that we're not our own, we're bought with a price. There are a lot of verses that undergird this idea that we now serve the Lord, we belong to the Lord. How does that affect your ownership of things? This is a message that America needs to hear because even if you don't feel like you have a lot in this country, we just have a lot of stuff. We have opportunities, we have information, we have money, we have time, we have so much that the rest of the world doesn't have. We're going to be held accountable for it. We're going to look at other resources we have. Just kind of introducing this idea, do you need a worldview shift? Have I slipped into viewing myself as an ultimate owner instead of as a steward? Take a look at Acts chapter 5, verse 4. I want to just give you one other idea, and then we'll start looking at some of the things that I'm a steward of. Are you saying this morning that I don't own anything? Not exactly. Look at this little verse over in Acts chapter 5, verse 4. Some people have tried to suggest, I don't think it's a contemporary idea, although it might come back, that the early church taught communism. Uh, where did they get that idea from? You can imagine, right? Look at the early book of 
the, the early chapters of Acts, and the Christians were selling all of their things and giving them to the apostles, and they were distributing them. Does that mean that the Bible teaches that we can't own things and that ownership is not something that uh, is biblical? Well, I think the verse here in Acts 5-4 contradicts that idea. Uh, Acts chapter 5 I'm going to read from verse 1. A man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. In the prior chapter, Barnabas had just sold a piece of property and laid at the apostles' feet. Oh, hey, look at Barnabas. We have to sell our property too. People really appreciated him. Maybe we should do that, Sapphira. You can kind of imagine. I don't know what they were thinking. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Look at this verse. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? After it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to man, but to God. Many people point to this verse to, to, to suggest that while the theme of stewardship is a large biblical theme, the New Testament also teaches that we actually own things. And so that puts us in a unique sense as believers. We're stewards of things, and yet they're ours. They're God's, and yet they're ours. And we have a unique opportunity to use them, use our time, use our resources in a way that we know the Master wants us to use them. You're not going to give an account for my time, my gifts, my money, my opportunities, I'm not going to give an account for your time. There's a unique sense that, see, we're not under the law, where the law very clearly stipulated what you had to do with certain things. You, you, you see this with tithing. The law was very clear when you add up the tithe, which means a tenth, the Israelites gave somewhere on the order of over 20% of what they had. Actually, maybe two or three different levels of tithing. When you come to the New Testament, you don't see that laid out. You see this pattern where we're sort of mature, we should know what the Lord wants, and we should give in a way that accomplishes what the Lord wants. It's, it's something different. So we see ownership, but we also see stewardship in the New Testament. And so I think the idea that the early church or Acts teaches Christian communism is actually not supported by the Scripture. Okay, the Bible's full of teaching on stewardship. We've introduced the idea. Stewards, we're stewards. It's in the Bible. Paul says, think of me as a steward. And Paul said, be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. The idea is we should do what Paul did. We should think of ourselves as stewards. The Bible's full of teaching or examples of stewardship. Look at this. Individuals who are stewards. Adam in the Garden of Eden. This is very interesting. What was Adam a steward of? Everything. The creation. Here's an interesting question. Has that changed? I'm going to suggest, and I'm really open for input, that we still have grounds to suggest that we're stewards of the earth. Um, you see it, responsibility to have dominion and to, to fill the earth given to Noah after the flood. It's an interesting thought. Uh, Joseph in Potiphar's house, he's a classic example of a steward. Potiphar was blessed as a result of his stewardship. Daniel and Babylon. There were groups acting as stewards. The priests serving in the tabernacle. The seven that were chosen in Acts chapter 6, right? They were sort of given a responsibility to take finances that the, the, uh, the early church collected. And who were they going to feed? They were going to feed the widows, right? They were stewards. Uh, 
The Lord Jesus Christ taught on stewardship often. He used parables about stewards, the good steward, the wise steward, the foolish steward. The apostles taught on stewardship. It's, it's, this is a theme that's all through the scriptures. You could do a great study on stewardship. So uh, just kind of putting that out this morning. What are some things that we're stewards of? Here are seven things. Let's look at them up. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You are a, a steward of your body. You have choices, you have volition, things that you can do with your body. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I think, well, what does this message have to do with me? All right, well, we're getting real practical here. Real practical. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm going to read from verse number 12. In the city of Corinth, a center of life was the pagan temple of of worship. Social interaction went on there. Business transactions went on there. It was a central hub of social life. And there was also immorality that went on there. And the, the, the Corinthians, as they came to Christ, had to come to grips with the change in their life that, that they had to undergo and not partake of some of those things. And that's where this passage comes in. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12 says this. Some of them might have been saying this. There's, there's some disagreement on how to exactly read verse 12. The Corinthians might have actually been saying this. All things are lawful for me but not all things are helpful. All, all things are lawful for me, but, I, but I'm not going to be dominated by anything. Now, some say Paul was saying this. Uh, food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant, and here we, hear, uh, we, we read Paul here, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make the members of a prostitute? Never. God forbid. Don't you know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Our culture needs this as much as ever. Every other sin a person commits outside the body but the sexually immoral person commits sin against his own body. And here's our verse. Or do you not know? Maybe you missed the heading, Paul. Maybe you didn't get the news flash. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And that's as personal as it can get. Just say glorify God with your schedule, glorify God with your words. He says glorify God in your body. This is a, the, the human body is an amazing creation. People can do amazing things, whether it's athletic or intellectual or just, it's sort of infinite. We're, we bear the image of our God who is a creator. We have creative abilities. It's just sort of an infinity of things that we can do. You've got this amazing gift. What do you do with your body? Right? I mean, you could take this in a number of directions. Uh, some people have commented on the fact that we often don't talk about actually like taking care of our bodies as believers. 
of a lot of believers that are just completely unhealthy, letting their bodies just be destroyed. And it's like, oh, it doesn't matter. Well, does it glorify the Lord? You know, we talk about, you know, and whatever you do, right? Whether you eat, whether you drink, whatever you do, all the glory of God. Is God glorified in that? Did he create your body to be used for whatever you're doing with it? It's an interesting thing to think about. Um, some people have said it would, be, it would be a good thing if certain Bible teachers or servants of the Lord would take care of their bodies. They might be able to give another five or six years of, of ministry, ten years, to the Lord's work. Now, I know some of you are like, no, but it's a point when a man wants to die and after the judgment. Yeah, and I'm not going to work out God's foreknowledge in relationship to your free will to let your body totally go to waste and so you died earlier than, you know. Those things work themselves out, Okay. Um, but it's an interesting thing to think about. What have you done with your body? You're a steward of it. Um, and stewardship implies giving an account. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that later. Here's another thing that you're a steward of. The gospel, God's truth. When you trust Christ as your Savior and you come to understand the gospel, you then begin to follow the Lord as a disciple. And one of the things that the Lord calls his disciples to do is to go into the world and make other disciples, right? It's very interesting to think about how the Lord chose to spread the gospel through a multiplication of one-on-one, so to speak. Um, How many of you have ever been approached by somebody, and I really don't mean to offend this morning, if somebody's involved in this, I'm going to share just sort of my my personal hang-up. How many of you have ever been approached or involved in somebody that does multi-level marketing. You can just nod your head, yeah. Uh, and, and, and I'm not going to get into whether that's good or bad. But, but I personally, I can think of two times in my life where someone came to me and said, hey, um, I'd like to inter- you know, share this business opportunity with you. And, and they talk about it. And of course, I'm the, the optimist and I'm always oh, interested in that. But what, what, what I always found interesting was that, that multi-level marketing really employs the concept of discipleship. And so I always thought to myself, if I have time to make disciples for a business plan, then I have time to make disciples for Christ. And I felt, for me personally, that I was better off trying to do the latter. Um, and it always struck me. They, it's sort of this, they touted it as an amazing business principle where you go and gain certain people, and they go and gain certain people, and you build this whole sort of pyramid uh, and, and the money sort of flows up to a purse at the top. The, the brilliance comes from God. He, he used this, this idea to share the gospel, not by building a large shrine somewhere in the world, saying all the people have to go to this shrine, climb up to the mountain, but if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you take the gospel and go into the world. And those that trust Christ, they take the gospel and they go, and it just sort of multiplies uh, exponentially. So you're a steward of the gospel. What have you done with it? What do you do with it? What do you do with biblical truth? Turn to John chapter 17. Let's just look at this verse, John 17. Verse 14. This is the high priestly prayer of the Lord Jesus. And I may be skipping ahead to one of my slides here, but have you ever read John 17? not just in terms of your chance to hear the Lord praying to the Father, or people call it the high priestly prayer of the Lord because the Lord prays for us. Sometimes we think of the Lord's uh, praying in John 17 like that. You ever thought of looking at this passage as 
a steward giving an account of his stewardship? It's very interesting when you look at it that way. John chapter 17, um, I'm just going to go quickly through it. Jesus, verse 1, when he had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes into heaven. He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Watch for all these phrases where somebody entrusts something to someone else. The Father entrusted something to the Son. This is eternal life that they, um, uh, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having, here it goes, accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Look down at verse number 6. He says, yours they were, or I have manifested your name to the people that you have given me. It's an interesting little thing to think about when you look at John 17. The Lord Jesus Christ was given disciples, given a word, given an opportunity, so to speak. And look down at verse number 14. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. The Father sent Christ into the world. He gave truth to Christ. He passed it on to the apostles, the, the disciples. They went out as apostles. They passed that on to the first or second generation, and they passed that on, and they passed that on. And somewhere down the line, somebody came to some Italians in the Northeast and preached the gospel to them, and they happened to be my great-grandparents. And they shared the gospel and the truth with my grandparents when they were kids, and they shared the gospel and the truth of who God was with my dad and my parents, and he married my mom and the same thing. And they, you see how it gets passed on and passed, and so now it comes into my lap, and I have kids, and I have people I know. What do I do with the truth of the gospel? Am I a dead end, a clog in the pipe, or do I pass it on to others? All right? Go ye into all the world and... Preach the gospel, Mark talks about, make disciples, make followers of Christ, teaching them to do all things that, that he taught and did. Um, Acts chapter 20, verse 7, I'm not going to read it, but Paul says, listen, I have, I've given to you the whole counsel of God. I haven't held anything back from you. Nobody's going to be able to point your finger at me and say, Paul, you never told us that. So no, I've given you everything I could give you. I am innocent of the blood of all men. Nobody's going to be able to point their finger at Paul and say, Paul, you, you didn't tell me. You're a steward of the gospel, God's truth. What are you going to do with it? It's very interesting. The Lord says, here, there you go. You know my heart. You know my heart. Do you know the Lord's heart? Do you know the Lord's heart for people? Do you know the Lord's heart for truth? How can you accomplish the Lord's will? There's this interesting thing that we're in now that we live. We're not under the law. I believe we have a relationship to the new covenant. That's another topic we could talk about. The Lord says, it's sort of like he treats us like we're a little bit more mature, like we're adults, like you know, we're, we're full-grown, we're adopted sons. You know the Father's heart. You know, when you have kids as they grow up, when they're little, you just tell them, do this, do this, do that. Do it, I already told you, do it. <laughs> do this, do that, what do I do? Do this, do this. And then once they hit a certain age, I assume with our kids, we're not going to be, you know, we're going to have more conversations like this. Well, we, we've talked about this. You know what mom and dad believe. Now you're going to have to decide, right? And, and at some point, they're going to go off on their own, and hopefully we've trained them, and they, they fulfill, so to speak, our heart in certain areas on their own. Uh, I think we bear that relationship to the Lord. The gospel, we have the, the truth of the gospel. Spiritual gifts, 1 Peter chapter 4. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. These are just a, a simple list of things that I, I have that you can use or you can fail to use. 
a body, a physical body. The gospel, the truth of the word of God. Here you have a gift. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says this. I'm going to read from verse 9. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. That's a neat verse. Four times in the New Testament we're told that each one of you has a spiritual gift. If we were a little more of a charismatic group, just using that as a general non-technical term, I could say, turn to your neighbor, tell them I have a gift. Hear, hear people do that. Just say to yourself, I have been given a spiritual gift. You have been given, if you trusted Christ your Savior, whether you believe it or not, feel it or not, want it or not, God has given you a unique capacity or ability to serve the body of Christ. Now, here's what's amazing. If you structure your local church around a hired staff, God can use that. But the Bible teaches that God has given every one of you that's trusted Christ a gift and an ability to serve the body. What happens when you unleash all that potential? Right? All of you are in ministry, so to speak. All of you are in the Lord's work. You ever wake up and say, well, I'm not in the Lord's work. Yeah, you're in the Lord's work if you've trusted Christ. Okay? Tell yourself that. I am officially in ministry. Some of you don't like that word. I, I don't know. You know, fill it in as you want, but... There's no such thing when you've trusted Christ as sort of like, you know, you're a bench warmer, right? It's not the way it works. It's pretty interesting. 1 Corinthians 12 says that he has placed every member in the body as it has pleased him. There's something about you and the way God's gifted you and the way God's positioned you in the body of Christ that he takes joy in. If that doesn't give your life some kind of meaning, I don't know what will. What is it? Well, the first thing you can do is start looking through the categories of gifts in the New Testament, examining your own heart. Do you have a desire to do so? Do you see something that needs to be done? A lot of times people sort of point their fingers at the leaders. Hey, you need to, we need to do this. I, I, I do the same thing too, you know. We don't like this. This needs to change. And you know the classic line, you, just, you hear it all the place. We need to be part of the solution, right? Well, that, that's quite biblical. You've been given a gift to, to, to serve in a local body. Um, the beautiful phrase is that you've been given a, a, a piece of the multifaceted grace of God, Peter says. That's an interesting way to look at it. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as stewards of God's very grace. You imagine the Lord, I'm going to pick on Ricky up here, you know, if the Lord comes to Ricky, he sort of says, here, Ricky, I'm going to give you some grace. And the Lord really gives some people an overabundance. The Bible seems to teach that some have more gifting. That just means they're more responsible, right? To whom much is given, much is required, right? But everybody's been given something. And so as a steward, that means you're going to give an account. And one day we stand before the Lord and the Lord's probably in some way going to sort of ask us, so tell me what you did. Can you imagine the parable of the, 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 the master who gives each of his stewards a talent? A talent was about 70-something pounds of silver or some type of precious metal. This is a large chunk of money. 
He gave one five talents, another ten talents, and he says, I'm going on a trip. You know what I want. You know what I'm about. Would you spend it in, in a way that's keeping within my interests and desires? And when he comes back, what is he thinking? I'm pretty interested to see how these stewards have invested my money. And do you think of the Lord thinking about you that way? I'm interested to see what you've done. Right? Not sort of in a legal law-like way, but just sort of there's, there's even a little bit of creativity here, I, I sense, in the Scriptures. The Lord says, here's some, here's some talents. Let's see what you can do with them. What do I do, Lord? You know me. You know that I love the lost. You know that I love righteousness and hate iniquity. You saw me as I walked on earth. You've got the Gospels. You, can, you know what I'm about. You know what I care about. What can you do to further my heart? And we're going to stand before me and say, show me what you've done. Right? That's an interesting thing to think about. A steward of part of God's grace. Time. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. My mother used to say that time was really, how did she say it? Really one of the only things that we as Americans could give that was really of you know, real value to us. In her opinion, that it, she's like, we can all get money in a sense. Now, you might not be able to give hundreds of thousands of dollars, but, but time, that's nah, worth something. Um, Ephesians chapter 5 says the following. Verse number 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time. And he doesn't say because you're running out of time. Paul doesn't say make the best use of your time because you're running out. He says make the best use of time because the days are evil. Is it possible that as iniquity increases in certain parts of the world that you run out of opportunities to do certain things. You ever think about that? The harder it gets to work for God in certain areas, the more evil spreads and increases. Redeem the time, not just because it's running out, because the days are evil. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, be under the control of the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's a rich <laughs> couple verses. But time, what are you doing with your time? Part of being given free will is the stewardship of time. God wants us to make choices with what we have. Let me sort of go quickly through the last few here. Money. That's what you were probably thinking about when I said stewardship. You're a steward of your body. You're a steward of the gospel. You're a steward of your time. You're a steward of resources and money, obviously. What we do with the less significant tool called money is a test of what we do with more significant responsibilities. You know what the Lord said regarding your treasure? He's like, don't lay up treasure on earth where moth and rust corrupt and where thieves break in and steal. Lay up treasures in heaven where moths and rust don't corrupt and where thieves don't break in and steal. Why? Because for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What you do with money 
is a litmus test that exposes to the world around you where your heart is. That's why giving and that's why financial stewardship is so important. It's not because it's about money, 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 money. And most of the assemblies that I'm connected with really don't talk that much about it anyways. They're sort of on the other side of the pendulum. A lot of churches you see on TV, it's just all about money. We're on the other side of the pendulum. We actually need to talk about it more. You know why? Because the Lord talked about it a ton. Why did the Lord talk about it so much? Because money reveals where your heart is. Do you know why? Because when you go to spend it, now you're really making a decision, right? It's, it's, a, it's really touching your values. Stewardship of money. Leadership, Titus 1.7. Maybe you didn't think about this, but the word steward is in here. Titus chapter 1, verse 7 says this. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. He needs to be hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined. He's a steward. You know, the Lord wants to give somebody people. When we talk and do messages about eldership and local assemblies, thinking about the next generation of elders, we say this, elder work is people work. I mean, we can manage meetings and fill calendars and unlock doors and do those, but ultimately shepherding is about people. The buildings will fall, things will change, the church is the body. And those that shepherd and lead are they're stewards of people. And you know what? If you're a parent, you're a steward of some people. God gives you, that's pretty risky. <laughs> he gives you people. Here, have some human beings. All right. <laughs> Don't ruin them. Um, and a thought just to think about is stewards of the earth coming out of Genesis chapter 2. Uh, it's an interesting thought to think about. You know, as uh, our time is up, I'm closing here. As, uh, as believers, we really, I think, are the only ones that have a ground on which to make an argument for being careful with what we do with the earth. Um, not trying to get trendy with anything. I know people are very opinionated about the climate, environmental, things like that. But God created the earth. Um, and, and physical things are good things. God's going to recreate the earth. The millennial kingdom is not just a spiritual concept. It's going to be on the earth. God's going to remove the curse and show us what an earth looks like the way God intended it to be. Those that don't believe God exists really don't have, I don't think, a platform on which to stand to make an argument for stewardship of the earth. So there's really not ultimate meaning in anything other than what some community of people tries to randomly give it. As believers, the earth was created by God and given to us, and he says, have dominion over it. Do with it what I would want you to do with it. It's an interesting thing to think about. So these are things that we're stewards of, and we'll give an account for them. Use them. Go for it. Work for God. Burn out for Christ in a sense, in a good way. Don't hold anything back. Invent, create, fulfill the will of your Father using your body, using your time, using, your go using the gospel, using your relationships with people. Father, this morning we ask that you would um, help us to do like Paul did and look at ourselves as managers, as stewards of some pretty amazing gifts. Father, we ask that you would help us to 
order our lives like investors. Thinking about the returns. Thinking about what you're trying to accomplish. Lord, protect us. Keep us from the, 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 the grave is the end mentality of our world around us. Lord, keep us from attaching our heart to stuff. Lord, help us to attach our heart to Christ. That our heart would be in heaven. That our treasure would be there as well. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.